This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Rebecca Larson. Welcome to the show. I'm Rebecca Larson, host of the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And because I'm currently in my off-season, today's episode is a shorter supplemental one on Jane Seymour as the other lady in Henry VIII's life. To help me with the male voice parts of this episode, historian, author, and presenter Matthew Lewis offered to help, and I am so grateful to him. But before we get started, I need to thank my newest patrons, Elise L., Jillian H., Suzanne W., Leslie Ray, Heather W., Lauren, Elizabeth K., and Reagan. Thank you so much for your support, and thanks as well to all of you who are existing patrons. Your support means the world to me. Now, if you're listening to this and you'd like to become a patron, you can do so by going to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudor's Dynasty and click become a patron. Right now, patrons receive early access to lessons on my Tudor course, as well as being eligible to win my monthly patron gift giveaways. This month, I'm giving away two books, Timeless Falcon by Philippa Vincent Connolly and The Bridal Tongue by Catherine Merrick. Now, it's nearly the end of June, so one lucky patron will receive these two books as a special thank you. If you want an opportunity to be able to get these books, be sure to sign up as a patron before the end of June. If you enjoy the Tudor's Dynasty podcast, please subscribe and follow wherever you listen to my episodes. Also, if you would feel so inclined to do so, please leave a review there as well. I absolutely love it when I get reviews, and I love to hear from all of my listeners. If you'd like to reach out to me to chat on one of the subjects of my show or just to say hi, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So with that, let's get started with the supplemental episode on Jane Seymour as the other lady. Well, this should not be considered an in-depth research of the time period, as that would take time to write a book. This should be seen as a way to follow Jane Seymour's rise as the other lady in Henry VIII's life, just before the execution of Anne Boleyn. In this episode, I follow the trail of gossip through the imperial ambassador Eustace Chapuis, as well as a letter from Henry to Jane up to December 1536, when it was suspected that Jane Seymour was pregnant. The first mention of Jane Seymour in letters and papers is in a letter from Imperial Ambassador Eustace Chapuis to his master, Emperor Charles V. The letter is dated 1st of April, 1536, just over a month before Anne Boleyn would be executed. In the letter, which was written from London, Chapuis says, That the king being lately in this town, and the young lady, Mrs. Semmel, whom he serves at Greenwich, he sent her a purse full of sovereigns, and with it a letter and that the young lady, after kissing the letter, returned it unopened to the messenger, and throwing herself on her knees before him, begged the said messenger that he would pray the king on her part to consider that she was a gentlewoman of good and honourable parents, without reproach, and that she had no greater riches in the world than her honour, which she would not injure for a thousand deaths, and that if he wished to make her some present in money, she begged it might be when God enabled her to make some honourable match." The said Marchioness has sent to me to say that by this the king's love and desire towards the said lady was wonderfully increased, and that he said she had behaved most virtuously, and to show her that he only loved her honourably, he did not intend henceforth to speak with her except in presence of some of her kin, for which reason the king has caused Cromwell to remove from a chamber to which the king can go by certain galleries without being perceived, and has lodged there the eldest brother of the said lady with his wife, 
in order to bring thither the same young lady, who has been well taught, for the most part, by those intimate with the king, who hate the concubine, that she must by no means comply with the king's wishes except by way of marriage, in which she is quite firm. She is also advised to tell the king boldly how his marriage is detested by the people, and none consider it lawful, and on the occasion when she shall bring forward the subject, there ought to be present none but titled persons, who will say the same if the king put them upon their oath of fealty. And the said marchioness would like that I, or someone else, on the part of your majesty, should assist in the matter. And certainly it appears to me that if it succeed, it will be a great thing, both for the security of the princess, and to remedy the heresies here, of which the concubine is the cause and principal nurse, and also to pluck the king from such an abominable and more than incestuous marriage. The princess would be very happy, even if she were excluded from her inheritance by male issue. I will consult with them again today, and on learning her opinion, will consider the expedient to be taken, so that if no good be done, I may at least not do any harm. In the Lyle Letters, Volume 3, there is evidence that Lord and Lady Lyle's man, John Hussey, was also in the loop on what was happening at court. He made mention of talking to Lord Montague just before the 26th of March, 1536. This man was Henry Pole, 1st Baron Montague, and he was good friends with Henry Courtney, 1st Marquess of Exeter. Exeter was first cousin to King Henry VIII through his mother, Catherine of York, sister of Elizabeth of York. Are you confused yet? <laughs> By connecting the two letters, we can now see how gossip spread. Surely these two men spoke. And it is the wife of Exeter that Chapuis mentions in the letter from the 29th of January, 1536. We can also see that in January, there was talk of the king ridding himself of his second wife. Some days ago, I was informed from various quarters, which I did not think very good authorities, that notwithstanding the joy shown by the concubine at the news of the good queen's death, for which she had given a handsome present to the messenger, she had frequently wept, fearing that they might do with her as with the good queen. This morning I have heard from the lady mentioned in my letters of the 5th of November, and from her husband, that they were informed by one of the principal persons at court that this king had said to someone in great confidence, and as it were in confession, that he had made this marriage seduced by witchcraft, and for this reason he considered it null, and that this was evident because God did not permit him to have any male issue, and that he believed he might take another wife, which he gave to understand that he had some wish to do. The thing is very difficult for me to believe, though it comes from a good source. In that letter from November 1535, Chapuis referenced the Marchioness of Exeter, so we can prove that they often spoke to one another. The Marchioness of Exeter has sent to inform me that the king has lately said to some of his most confidential counsellors that he would no longer remain in the trouble, fear and suspense he had so long endured on account of the queen and princess, and that they should see at the coming parliament to get him released therefrom, swearing most obstinately that he would wait no longer. The Marchioness declares this is as true as the gospel and begs me to inform your majesty and pray you to have pity upon the ladies and for the honour of God and the bond of kin to find a remedy. It was on the 10th of February that we hear about Anne Boleyn's miscarriage and another mention of Jane Semmel by Chapuis. Of course, Semmel meaning Seymour. On the day of the interment, the concubine had an abortion, which seemed to be a male child, which she had not born three and a half months, at which the king had shown great distress. The said concubine wished to lay the blame on the Duke of Norfolk, whom she hates, saying he frightened her by bringing the news of the fall the king had six days before. But it is well known that this is not the cause, for it was told her in a way that she should not be alarmed or attach much importance to it. 
Some think it is owing to her own incapacity to bear children, other to a fear that the king would treat her like the late queen, especially considering the treatment shown to a lady of the court, named Mistress Semmel, to whom, as many say, he has lately made great presents. Another note mentioning Jane Seymour showed up in a letter from Chapuis to Granville on the 29th of April, 1536. He continually counsels Mrs. Semmel and other conspirators, Paul Louis Fair and Von Neu, and only four days ago he had some persons of the chamber sent to tell the princess to be of good cheer, for shortly the opposite party would put water in their wine, for the king was already as sick and tired of the concubine as could be, and the brother of Lord Montague told me yesterday at dinner that the day before the Bishop of London had been asked if the king could abandon the said concubine, and he would not give any opinion to anyone but the king himself. And before doing so, he would like to know the king's own inclination, meaning to intimate that the king might leave the said concubine, but that, knowing his fickleness, he would not put himself in danger. The said bishop was the principal cause and instrument of the first divorce, of which he heartily repents, and would still more gladly promote this, the said concubine and all her race are such abominable Lutherans. In a letter written by Henry VIII to Jane Seymour during the week leading up to Anne Boleyn's execution shows that there was a bit of unrest at Anne being at the Tower, and that some of his subjects may not have agreed with the king's choices. My dear friend and mistress, the bearer of these few lines from thy entirely devoted servant will deliver into thy fair hand a token of my true affection for thee, hoping you will keep it forever in your sincere love for me. Advertising you that there is a ballad made lately of a great derision against us, which if it go much abroad and is seen by you, I pray you to pay no manner of regard to it. I am not at present informed who is the setter forth of this malignant writing, but if he is found out, he shall be straightly punished for it. For the things ye lack, I have minded my lord to supply them to you as soon as he can buy them, thus hoping shortly to receive you in these arms. I end for the present your own loving servant and sovereign, H.R. Around the same time that Henry was writing Jane love letters, Anne was awaiting her fate in the Tower of London. Eustace Chapuis wrote to Antoine Perrineau and explained to him who the king's new lady was. Now this was the day before Anne's execution. As I hear that letters from England are opened at Calais, you will have more trouble in deciphering several things which, but for this, might be written clear. I have no news to add to what I write to His Majesty except to tell you something of the quality of the king's new lady, which the Emperor and Granville would perhaps like to hear. She is sister of one Edward Semmel, Quaesta Asama, of middle stature and of great beauty, so fair that one would call her rather pale than otherwise. She is over twenty-five years old. I leave you to judge whether, being English and having long frequented the court, the elle ne tendoit pas à conscience de ne voir pauvre et pauvre de savoir que c'est de faire no. Perhaps the king will only be too glad to be so far relieved from trouble. Also, according to the account given him by the concubine, he has neither vigour nor virtue, and besides, he may make a condition in the marriage that she be a virgin, and when he has a mind to divorce her, he will find enough to witness. The said Semmel is not a woman of great wit, but she may have good understanding. It is said she inclines to be proud and haughty. The day after Anne Boleyn's execution, the 20th of May, Chapuis wrote again to Granville has just been informed, the bearer of this having already mounted, that Mrs. Semmel came secretly by river this morning to the king's lodging, and that the promise and betrothal was made at nine o'clock. The king means it to be kept secret till Whitsuntide, but everybody begins already to murmur by suspicion, and several affirm that long before the death of the other, 
there was some arrangement which sounds ill in the ear of the people, who will certainly be displeased at what has been told me, if it be true. Viz that yesterday the king, immediately on receiving news of the decapitation of the Poutin, entered his barge and went to the said Semmel, whom he has lodged a mile from him in a house by the river. There was mention again of Jane, however, not by name, in a letter from John Hussey to Lord Lyle on the 24th of May, five days after Amberlynn's execution. News here are none, but that it is presumed there will be by midsummer a new coronation. This is by conjecture and not unlikely. The progress shall not this summer pass Windsor. Then on the 30th of May, news was sent to Lord Lyle from William March. My lord, as this day the king is known to be married unto one Miss Jane Seymour, Sir John Seymour's daughter. That Christmas, Lady Mary was welcomed to court to celebrate the king and queen. Standing in the chamber of presence by the fire, turned to the lords and said, Some of you were desirous that I should have thy jewel put to death, referring to Mary. That had been a great pity to have lost your chiefest jewel of England, said Jane. The king replied by saying, Nay, Edward, Edward, and clapped his hand on the queen's belly. If there's something that we can take from this, is that court gossip spread quickly. There would always be opposing sides, and it seems evident here that Jane caught the king's eye early. But how early, we may never know. It has been speculated that he may have shown interest as early as 1534, but there is no evidence other than that of the gossip talking about another woman. Then there was the summer progress of 1535, and many believe the king stopped at Wolf Hall to see Jane. There is no evidence that she went on that progress. It was with all of this in mind that I wanted to put this piece together. And I hope it taught you something that you didn't previously know. Thanks for checking out the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Read more. Read more on the blog at TudorsDynasty.com. Follow Tudor's Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Tudor's Dynasty on iTunes. Thanks for listening.